a few years ago in the, one of our Los Angeles Rams Bible studies, um, there was a young man who shared with the group a, uh, an unforgettable truth. Apparently, this man had uh, been an exceptional athlete from an early age on. And as a result, because of this gift that he had of uh, being a tremendous athlete, he would have a tendency to get a little cocky, a little arrogant, to go around boasting about his accomplishments and his achievements. And uh, his grandfather, watching all of this and realizing how dangerous this attitude was in his life and how dangerous it would be in the future, he came to him as only a southern grandpa could and asked him this question. He said, son, where are your feet? And this young man looked at him with that duh look on his face, kind of like the one that you have right now. <laughs> and he asked him again, he said, son, where are your feet? And he said, Gramps, I, I, I mean, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. He said, son, he goes, with that big inflated head of yours way up in the clouds, you can't see your feet from there. Son, as you go through life, the most important thing you ever learn is to make sure that you can always see your feet and that your feet are always planted firmly on the ground. You know, some things are just worth the price of admission in and of themselves. And there's a timeless truth to that. Son, make sure you can always see your feet and that they're planted firmly on the ground. You know, God issues a similar warning when he says this, that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But we, should, but we should think and think in a manner that will produce sound judgment. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think in order that you would have sound judgment in the ways that you think. There's no doubt about such truth because many of us know and we look around us and we can see how pride and a sense of arrogance, a sense of obnoxiousness or thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought often affects sound judgment. And often leads to very dangerous decisions on our part. And, and oftentimes very embarrassing decisions. One of the classic stories that I love is a story that is told of a foggy night at sea. And the ship's captain saw what appeared to be lights in the distance of another ship approaching him. He said he instructed his signalman to contact the other ship by signal light. And he sent the following message. He said, change your course 10 degrees to the south. The reply came, change your course 10 degrees to the north. Or to the, to, yeah, to the north. The captain responded, says, I'm a captain, change yours 10 degrees to the north. The response came back, I'm a seaman first class, you change your course. Now, seaman first class, obviously, is not as high a rank as a captain, so the captain, furious with this, replies to his signalman, send this message, I'm a battleship, you change your course 10 degrees to the north. The last response he heard was this, I am a lighthouse, you change your course 10 degrees to the south. I like that. And all of that leads us back to Daniel chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, where we were introduced to um, a man who was quite arrogant, a man whose arrogance and sense of self-importance uh, will lead to his destruction. His name is Belshazzar, and from his experience, we're going to learn something about the certainty, the certainty of God's judgment. From this man's experience, we will learn of the certainty of God's judgment. Daniel chapter 5, starting with verse 1, we read these words. It says, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of these thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver, vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. 
in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. And in our last meeting together, I mentioned that there are going to be six things that jump out at us as they pertain to this idea of the certainty of God's judgment. And the first thing we looked at in great detail was the corruption of Belshazzar. Now, if you recall from our last time together, Belshazzar is in the midst of a serious, uh, basically a serious threat to the uh, Babylonian Empire. The Medes and the Persians had attacked for the last 12 months and had gotten down to the, within uh, the city of Babylon itself to where they were about to invade the city and destroy it. But Belshazzar in his arrogance and his pride, somewhat like the captain of the battleship, felt like he was invincible because the city had around it a, a wall that was 15 square miles. It was 300 feet high. It was wide enough for four chariots to, to march abreast across the, the, the face of the wall. They had stored up enough supplies to last them 20 years and a channel of the Euphrates River ran through the middle of the city. In his mind, they were invincible. And as this battle continued, as chunks of their empire had been destroyed by the Medes and Persians, all the leaders were called back to the city of Babylon. They all retreated. They left their, their battle stations, so to speak. They left the people to be on their own. And they came back within the city walls and the safety and the confines of this, what they thought was an impenetrable fortress. And so Belshazzar, in the midst of all of this, decides, hey, it's time to have a party. And so they go out and he invites all these leaders to come into this underground cavern that's a big banquet hall at this point. And the Bible clearly shows us that he had nothing but contempt for his enemies. At a time when they should have been having military strategy sessions, they were having a drunken brawl and a party. And it says that they basically were all getting hammered. And it was, ba it was just one big drunken orgy is what it was. And the whole picture of that scene has taken place right before us. Belshazzar tasted the wine. Literally, the guy got hammered. They were having a party. And now they were showing contempt to those out outside the wall, basically flaunting it in their face. Hey, you know what? There's nothing you can do to us. We're here for the duration. We'll outweigh you. You're not going to get in. We've got plenty of food. We've got plenty of water. We're just going to have a good time and there's nothing to worry about. So not only do they show contempt for their enemy, but he also shows at this particular point contempt for God and for the word of God, which is important for us to understand. Because Belshazzar knew the history of the vision that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had, that one day there would be a divided kingdom that would come and conquer this great empire of Babylon. And so Belshazzar, knowing this already, was basically flaunting that reality in the face of God, saying, you know what, I've heard about your judgment, but I don't believe that it's going to happen. And in, and in fact, we're just going to have a party. And not only are we going to party at the contempt of our enemies, we're going to party at the contempt of God. And he invited all these guys to come in. And then he sent out for them the vessels that were used in the temple to worship the God of Israel that Nebuchadnezzar had put away after he came into a right relationship with God. So all of a sudden, he's, he's in this drunken stupor that he's in, begins to do stupid things like many do under the influence of alcohol, and he says, go bring out those vessels, and they began to drink and toast the gods of Babylon. They drank the wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so this is basically what we have happening here. Here's a guy with all of his leaders who are in contempt of man, they're in contempt of God, they feel like they're invincible, and we know many people like that in the world today. 
they hide within the fortress of their own money, of their bank accounts, of the rising stock market, of the big houses that they've built and the businesses that they built. And they hear of the coming of the judgment of God that one day it's appointed for man to die once and then what? And then comes judgment and accountability to God. And they hide within the fortress that they've had and they hide behind booze and alcohol and drugs and all that goes along with it. And they think that that is protecting them from the eminent judgment and the certainty of the judgment of God. Belshazzar thought the same thing. And we need to recognize and understand that we're no different than him in a lot of ways. When God says something, we often show contempt for the word of God by doubting what he has to say and wondering whether what he had to say will really come to fruition. So the second thing that we have is this tremendous change that takes place in the attitude of Belshazzar. Notice in verse 5 we read these words. It says, suddenly, I love that, in the midst of the revelry, in the midst of the big party, suddenly... The fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. You a bad man. A moment ago, man, you were the baddest man around. You are flaunting everything in the face of God. You're getting drunk and toasting your gods, man. There was no one that could ever penetrate this impenetrable fortress of yours. You would wait out everybody. But the bad man is going to learn that there's somebody bigger and stronger than he. And all of a sudden, the key word, I love this, the key word that, that jumps at me as I read this is suddenly. Suddenly. Let that sink in for a moment. Because I want you to listen carefully to this. While God is patient, he is not mocked by our disrespect and contempt for him, nor our disrespect and contempt for his word. There comes a point in time when God says, that's it, I've had enough. Then when he acts, it always appears sudden or swift to those who are ill-prepared for such actions. You know, it's interesting, it's been 66 years because we know in Daniel 2 that it was the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar that the vision of the panorama of world history was given to Nebuchadnezzar as translated by Daniel. It had been 66 years from that point in time. And I I would imagine that, you know, if you were warned of the judgment of God and yet it was 66 years later and it still hadn't happened, that maybe you begin to doubt that, you know, that there's any truth to that. Many of us are like that. God warns us of judgment. He warns us, hey, you know, God's not mocked, you know. Don't be deceived by that. Don't be deceived by your actions. I mean, what he's saying to you is the same and me today. If you're doing something that's wrong before God, hey, you know what, don't be deceived by the fact that you think you're getting away with it, that you've been warned of the impending judgment if you continue to go down that direction. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction. And yet, as you travel that path, you haven't seen any consequences. You haven't seen any danger. You haven't felt... the scourge of God or the discipline of God. And so you keep on walking down that path. And then suddenly, judgment falls. It had been 66 years. I'm sure the Belshazzar heard all about it and went, hey, you know what, that's ridiculous. This empire is not going to fall. There's no one that's going to get into this city. 20 years worth of supplies, a river running through it, 300 foot walls, 15 square miles. Hey, hey, there's nobody going to take us down. And then suddenly, it's time for the next phase 
of God's plan to come into fruition. It was 12 months, if you remember, turning back to Daniel chapter 4. Look at this for a second with me. It was 12 months to the day that God had warned Nebuchadnezzar that he would be judged for his pride and for his arrogance if he too did not repent and turn to God. And in Daniel 4, look at the words in verse 29. I like verse 28. It says, hey, you know what? Exactly as God said would happen, it happened. It says, 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat. Brother, I'm going to turn you into a lawnmower. And seven years of time will pass over you until you then finally recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and He bestows on it whomever He wishes. Don't you love that? I want you to stop and think about something. For 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar had stored in his, in his memory bank the warning of Daniel that God was going to step in and judge him if he did not repent and turn to God. Month went by, two months went by, three months went by, four months went by, six months went by, eight months went by. Hey, nothing happened. Twelve months went by. Guess what? Time is up. And as the very words of pride and arrogance were still on his lips, God turned the man into a human lawnmower. And for seven years he grazed in the field like a like a cow until he recognized that you know what when God says something he means it and then I'm thinking as I'm going through this you know the Bible is filled with similar warnings think about this Noah preached that people should repent from their sin and turn to God for 120 years all while he was building an ark because one day there'd be a great flood Now, the people never saw rain up to that point because the the earth was water from below. He's building this ark. He says it's going to rain. And people are like, what's that? You need to repent and turn to God. And they laughed at him and they mocked him. And can you imagine having the, the privilege of preaching repentance to people knowing that you would not have one person convert? That'd be a little frustrating. You know, it's like every now and then, Lord, throw us a bone, you know, keep us going, keep us excited. Just one, just one person, you know, so we can see we're heading in the right direction. Not one person repented. For 120 years, God warned people. And then guess what? Suddenly, it started to rain. Isn't it amazing how people are? After patiently warning Pharaoh in Egypt to allow God's people to go, after sign after sign and miracle after miracle, then suddenly... Pharaoh and his army was destroyed. Oh, it came so suddenly. The prophets repeatedly warned the nation of Israel to repent and to turn to God. And then guess what? One day, oh, suddenly, they were taken into captivity. The Babylonian captivity that we see was an act of judgment from God to the nation that did not repent. But suddenly, oh, judgment. Listen to me and get this point if you haven't already picked up on it. 
God is patient with you and with me today just as well as he was with Belshazzar. Can you understand that? God is patient. No one can ever turn this around on God and say, God, you never warned me. You never gave me any slack. You never cut me a break. You never warned me that one day that I would be judged for what I'm doing. And when judgment comes on us, sometimes it's like, oh, and suddenly there's a price to pay. Suddenly, it's not sudden. It's only sudden because you have been ill-prepared to deal with the judgment. And it's not because God's not patient. Think about it. How many times in your life have you gotten away with things that you know you shouldn't have gotten away with and you look around and go, wow, I didn't get caught. You know what that's called? Grace. That's called God cutting you and me a break. But for the purpose of getting our attention. For the purpose of us repenting from our sin and turning to Him and trusting in Him. I know some of you are here today And you've been warned of the judgment of God. That one day, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, one day you will die and you will be judged for that refusal of believing in Christ. And you are going to be in a position where you think, suddenly, i got to give an account of my life. It's only sudden to you. Because it's not to God. God in His loving kindness and His patience gives us time. He gives us His grace. He gives us an opportunity to repent from our sin and to turn to Him and trust Him and believe in Him. It's not sudden. He gives us time to turn to Christ. He gives us time to turn to Him for forgiveness of our sin and escape God's judgment. He gives us time to believe in Him. If you have breath today, can I assure you of this, that God is gracious in giving you another day to decide whether you will believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Isn't that a wonderful truth about God? You can't be angry at God one day when you stand before Him and say, I rejected your son because I didn't believe it. Hey, you know what? At least you're hearing it and now you have a choice of whether you will believe it or you will not believe it. But God is gracious to get the word out to you. Can you imagine how God is so gracious that He sends people all over the world to language groups that have never heard the message that I'm sharing with you that many of you take for granted and you hear on a regular basis and yet you still haven't responded in a positive way? What's our attitude? There's still time. I want to enjoy what I'm doing right now because I know if I believe in Christ then I'm going to become a different person. And that's some of the things that I'm doing now that I really like to do, I'll probably not have the opportunity to do those anymore. I had a guy that I was working with. I shared the same truth with him. And you know what he said? He goes, I am not going to believe in Christ until I'm ready to give up all the things that I like doing that I know are not pleasing to God. I said, you don't understand, man. There's nothing that you can give up that's going to be pleasing to God. You believe in Jesus Christ and He'll take care of all the rest of the package later on as you become aware of who He is and you become aware of the truth of His Word. This isn't a matter of you giving something up and saying, okay, now that I got that out of my system, now that I sowed all my wild oats, now that I felt all that good stuff over there and all the problems and misery that comes with it, because guess what? Sin is only for a season and it's temporary pleasure. Then one day you wake up and guess what? Suddenly... You're judged for what you're doing. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't make any difference. God still judges us for our actions. And so his attitude was, well, I'm not going to believe in Christ until I'm ready to give stuff up. And his attitude was, I'm going to wait till the last moment. The 11th hour. We hear that all the time. The 11th hour. And I asked him a question. I said, let me ask you something. 
I was reading about this account of an incident that took place, and some of you will recall it. It took place on the Tenerife Islands, Canary Islands in Tenerife, when two 747 jumbo jets collided with one another on the runway. One was going to taxi, the other one was coming in for landing and T-boned it, and both planes exploded. It was the worst aviation disaster in the history of mankind as far as aviation was concerned. I said, now, based on your theory... What we should have heard happening as people were running around on fire, we should have heard the following. Dear God, I'm so sorry that I rejected Christ all of my life. I now believe in Him and ask Him to come into my life and to forgive me of my sin. Is that what you would hear in a situation like that? That's what he thinks he would do, right? You know what was, what was heard? There were people that were running on fire, screaming and yelling and cursing God and cursing one another. That's why when you hear the little transcripts of the black box, you never heard, I've never heard any pilot yet as the plane's going down saying, Dear Lord, I believe this is the 11th hour. And I've heard about you and now it's time to put my faith and trust in you. And I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. Now, what do you usually hear? You usually hear a transcript that's got about 18 words bleeped out because they can't share it with us on television. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because you're going to die exactly how you lived. And if you shake your fist in the face of God your whole life, the day that it comes for you to die, that's exactly the way you're going out. And that's a frightening reality. And then suddenly, you'll be judged. And suddenly, you'll think, God's not fair. And suddenly, He won't care what you think. Because He knows how gracious He was in your life. Isn't that interesting? The same guy that I was sharing with, looked at me with this look on his face. And I knew so he was thinking about something. I asked him, I said, what are you thinking about? He goes, well, when I, was, when I was in the Air Force, we had a guy, and we were all going out on a jump. And the guy in front of me jumped out of the plane, and you jump out, and you jump out, and he fell out backwards. And he realized as he fell out the plane, he forgot to hook up his chute. That's not a good thing. And he said, and I remember looking into his eyes, and I remember hearing the word that he said as he fell out of view and out of ear, ear hearing. And it wasn't, dear God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. It was, oh, shoot. Kind of like that. Just, shoot. And do you think that that made an impression on the man's life? Absolutely. To this day, I don't know till this day, whether that man has ever believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin. If he does not, suddenly, one day, he'll have to give an account. Suddenly. Turn with me to Second Peter for a second. Obviously, I want to emphasize this point. Because there's no more important lesson for any of us to learn today than this truth. And that is, is God is gracious. But one day, his, he, you know, that offer that he throws out and extends expires. And we need to recognize and understand it. Listen to this, 2 Peter chapter 3. I like this because in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's dealing with those who are mocking the truth of the word of God. It says, now Peter says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. 
that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. You notice what he's saying? Hey, I want to stir up in your mind the truth of the word of God that was spoken. I want to remind you, and I want to remind you today, that what God says is true and his word will be fulfilled exactly the way he says it. Now listen to me. That's why it's so important that we study the word of God. That's why it's so important that we know the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we don't leave our first love, which is the Word of God, and stray to hear things that are entertaining to our ears, that make us feel good, but don't deal with truth and reality. We've got to know the Word of God because that's what God uses in our life to bring about change of behavior that needs to take place if it's appropriate according to the Word of God. That's why all Scripture is profitable. There's always a benefit when the, word of goes, when the Word of God goes out. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for teaching and training of righteousness so that you and I will be adequately equipped to do what God has called us to do. The Word of God is critical to our relationship with God and an understanding of the certainty of God's judgment. He's saying, I want to remind you people. I want to stir this up a little bit. He says, know this first of all in verse 3, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Mockers will come with their mocking. Think about it. You tell somebody today that, you know what? You're going to have to give an account to God one day. You're going to be judged by God. If you die first, you will be judged. Or if Jesus come, Christ comes back, you will still be judged. And they go, Jesus Christ coming back. Yeah, right. How many years has that been since that was promised? Well, almost 2,000. What's the point? Well, it hasn't happened yet, so it's never going to happen. Oh, really? Well, 66 years from the time Nebuchadnezzar was told that Babylon would be defeated, and it came to fruition. It was 12 months since Nebuchadnezzar was warned to be turned into a lawnmower until the day it actually took place, and it happened. It was 120 years when God warned people to repent, or else they were going to be destroyed by a great flood. And yes, guess what? It rained, and that happened. Hey, and you know what? The point is this. I don't care how long it takes, God's word's going to be fulfilled. And he goes down and says, but there'll be those who mock it, saying, oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, right. I'm going to be judged for what I'm doing. I've been getting away with it for years, haven't been caught yet, haven't had any consequences. Yeah, right. All right, fine. Following after their own lusts. Oh, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Do we live in a culture today of people saying, you know what? Hey, I'm doing what I'm doing. It feels good. And I haven't seen any consequences. I haven't contracted any disease. I haven't seen anything happen to me. So I guess what I'm doing is okay. And saying this. Okay, right. Where's the promise of his coming? We heard he was coming, but we haven't seen him. It's been 2,000 years. He isn't here yet. So that means I guess he's not coming, right? Duh. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Don't miss this. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. You notice what he said? What God puts into motion, it's going to come to fruition. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. That's why you better know what's going to happen so that you know what to expect. He says, And but the present heavens and earth, by his word, again his word, are being fire kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. So that there's no misunderstanding here. Some of us may believe that, I, well, I'm not an ungodly person. I don't do these rotten things that I read about in the newspaper or hear about on TV. 
I went and visited that young man in prison again yesterday. I've been going every Saturday. It's been a fascinating thing. I'll tell you when we've got more time what's going on, but it's exciting to see. But I can see how people look around and you see all these people in prison and you say, you know what? Based on what I see here, I'm not that bad a guy. And the cool thing is, when I'm ready to leave, I can walk up and leave. They buzz me out, but I can get out. Now, I've often thought how scary it would be if somebody decided, we're not letting you go. That thought did cross my mind. It's like, can you buzz the door? Can you buzz the door? Oh, hang on, I'm on the phone. No, please buzz the door. Because I'm looking, you can't get out once you're in. And, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not that bad compared to everybody else. But you see, that's not God's standard of judgment. He says, none of us are righteous, no, not one, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every one of us fall in the ungodly category, and as a result of that, we are all condemned and we're all going to be judged by God. Unless we believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. He says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. Don't miss this, is what he's saying. If you don't, you know, if you don't catch anything else, don't miss this. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You notice that? God is good. He's not slack or slow about His promises. He's gracious. And He's given you and me time to repent. He was gracious that He gave me enough time here on earth that finally, 20 years ago, after being confronted with what you're being confronted with today, the fact that if I continued the direction I was going, that one day I would be judged by God and spend an eternity away from God in a place called hell, reserved for judgment. But God is gracious and He demonstrated His love for me and you. And yet while we were still sinners in a rebellion against God, guess what? He sent Christ to die for us. God was gracious and gave me enough time and opportunity and, did, and allowed enough things to take place in my life, road signs along the way saying, hey, you know what? You better get right with God. And to be able to respond to His grace and to His love and to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, that God says that now because of Christ, I will escape the judgment that is to come for ungodly. Not because of anything that I did or if you've come to the same point in your life, not because of anything that you did. But because of Jesus Christ and His death for your sins as a substitute for that judgment, God put the judgment of God, the wrath of God, on Christ that He paid for our sins. You know, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But let me tell you something about that offer that He makes. There's a day that comes where that offer expires. There's a day that will come for every human being. Every good thing has an expiration date. Have you ever realized that? Every good thing has an expiration date. That God offers forgiveness and grace and love and mercy. He continues to offer it, but one day he says, you know what? That's all. The offer expires. The coupon is up. It was for a limited time only, and you rejected it. It's too late. We've all been there when we read about a special deal at a store or we read about something that was taking place and we get there late and, and, and you say, hey, but you know, I got a coupon. Hey, man, that coupon expired. Or that sale was last weekend and that sale's over. You missed it. God in His grace says, I'm offering to you today forgiveness and eternal life. If you would just believe in Jesus Christ, then you can have that life. 
But when you continue to refuse, one day, guess what? The offer's up. And suddenly comes judgment. Only because you're not prepared for the truth of the Word of God. Go back with me to Daniel chapter uh, 5 again. And I want you to notice Belshazzar is no match for God. Look at verse 6. I love this. Then the king's face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. What a wimp. But you know what? God has a way of doing that to all of us, doesn't he? Oh, we all think we're bad, and we all think we're great, and we all think we're so powerful, we're so arrogant, we're so full of pride, and we're so stupid. Because we are no match for the living God. I mean, I can't, I mean, I just, I read stuff like this and I just laugh. I mean, picture it for a second. The guy turns white, and he's, and he's looking at this. Have you ever been so scared in your life that you felt like that? I mean, if you've ever been so afraid in your life that, that like, the wind is just taken out of you, that you can feel the heart beating through your, through your uh, chest, and that, you, you know, you just feel like you're just about ready to fall over. We're in Georgia, and I hate this kind of stuff, and I never do it. And it was against my better judgment. Why? Because I was thinking more highly of myself than I should have. Because I was under peer pressure. Come on, Dad. Let's ride this together. No, Dad's a sissy. That doesn't work. Okay, you want to ride that? Are you sure? Look how high that thing goes up there. You sure you want to ride it? Oh yeah, Dad, it'll be fun. Let's get on it. Let's go. It's one of those parachute rides, right? I hate this stuff. This thing goes up about 200 feet. The whole way up. Every verse that I know. Every passage that I'm thinking about. I know, and, it was that, and that little joke about the girl in the airplane who was afraid to fly, you know, you heard that one, right? And so as we're going up, and her mother said, what are you afraid, about, afraid of? Well, I'm just afraid. Well, what are you, don't be afraid. God's even up here with you. And she said, no, he's not. Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always. So, now, and I'm even thinking of that joke as I'm going up on the parachute ride. Now, I didn't say that, brother. I said, lo, I'm with you always. No, no, I know, I know, I know. It was out of context. I understand. And so... So we're going up, we're going up, and then it's just Ryan and I. And uh, he was probably, gosh, maybe six or seven years old, which made this really worse for me because, you know, he's thinking, I'm the dad. And, uh, and so we get up to the top, and I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be over. You can see six states from up there. Six states. I think we can even see the Bahamas. And, and we were up, and nothing was happening. And we weren't going back down. Now, I had seen it, and I'd measured it, and I knew once you get up there, there's a little bit of a delay, maybe three or four seconds, and they drop you. Minute, two minutes, and I'm white-knuckling it at this point. And all these things are running through my mind. Now, Ryan's being cool about it. He's like, oh, look over there, Dad, look over this, and they're looking at And then he looks at me, and I think I look like Belshazzar. As pale as can be, and I'm looking out, and I'm thinking things that he doesn't have any clue yet about. Something like, this is too high for a ladder on a fire truck. <laughs> and I'm looking over at the pole, and they got this pole, and they got these little, little, like a little ladder thing. And I'm thinking, who in their right mind climbs up there to change those lights and stuff? And then I'm thinking, you know what they're going to do? They're going to pull this over to that ladder, and then they're going to say, let go of this and grab onto that and climb down. <laughs> I'm going to die up here. And finally, it seemed like an eternity, the thing dropped. 
And seriously, when I got to get up to get off, I was, I was looking for like, you know, somebody with a wheelchair to come and get me. And Ryan's like, oh, that was fun, huh? No. But, the, but I learned a lesson. You know what I learned? I've never gotten anything like that since. And I'm not going to because I don't give in to peer pressure anymore. But can you imagine the sight of this man? This guy is so stinking scared. His face is pale. His thoughts alarmed him. Can relate. His hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Then look what he does. He calls aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. Here he goes again. What in the world is this guy doing? He goes right back to the ways that used to be. Nebuchadnezzar, every time he was in trouble, was the first thing he did. He turned to human wisdom. Bring in everybody. And these guys were sharp guys. But you know what? They're no match for God. They've already demonstrated that and proven that. They're no match for God. They have no, they have no Bible knowledge. They have no knowledge of God. They have no way to discern what's going on around them. They're, they're ignorant of spiritual things. You know what it reminds me of? Before I believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, I tried to read the Bible. Somebody said, you know, you really need to read the Bible. Oh, okay, I'll try that. You know, I read a lot of other stuff and I was going to school and you're always reading, so what's one more book to read? I start to read and go, this is stupid. I don't understand this. I don't have any point of reference. I didn't understand what the Bible said. Some of you may be in the same position. Let me tell you why. You can't understand it. Because it's not written for those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. The Bible says when you believe in Jesus Christ that the Spirit of God then indwells you and His Spirit testifies with our spirit we're a child of God, number one. But also the Spirit of God leads us into truth and we begin to read the Bible after you've given your life to the Lord. Guess what happens? You start to read it and you go, Wow! This is good stuff! But I thought you read it before. I did. Well, what's the difference now? I understand it. Why do you think you understand it? I don't know, because I guess the Spirit of God living within me helps me to understand it and guides me into all truth. I guess that's why it makes sense. If you've been there and you're trying to read the Bible, trying to make sense of all of it, let me tell you something, don't waste your time. The first thing you need to do is get in a right relationship with God. He's given you plenty of time. You need to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And once you do that, then guess what? Then your relationship with God will begin to grow and it all makes sense. Three weeks ago, that young man that's sitting in prison prayed with me to ask Christ to come into his life and to forgive him of his sin. Not just the sin of killing his dad, but just the sin of being in rebellion against God. The Bible says at that moment in time he became a child of God. Whether he ever gets out of prison or not, the, the prison that he was freed from was the prison of sin. The shackles of sin were dropped the moment he believed in Christ, although the shackles of man were still on him to be judged for the action that he did. But what's fascinating was, here I was Saturday and I was out there meeting with him. And he had read through his Bible and he had done eight Bible studies. And he was asking me questions. He said, what does it mean? What is that fruit of the Spirit? What does that mean? When Peter was arrested, why was he arrested? And I don't understand that. Help me understand it and explain it to me. The excitement of seeing a kid's life transformed by the grace of God. And you know, I've got to tell you this story. And we always got next time, right? Okay. I've got to tell you this story because I want you to understand how gracious God is. So when I went out the first time to visit him, uh, the second time to visit him, they kind of gave me the rundown on the rules. The rules are, I couldn't really take anything to him. I can't really give him anything. I certainly couldn't give him any books that were hardbound books, anything that could become a weapon in the hands of somebody in prison. So the rule was, hey, if you want to bring him something, you can bring him uh, a paperback book of some sort. I said, well, if I want to bring him a Bible, can I bring him a Bible? Oh, absolutely, you can bring him a Bible. Uh, but it has to be you know, a leather-bound one that's not very big and it's light and it's you know, not dangerous to anybody. 
And I said, well, you know, I'd like to bring him a personal one because, you know, we would like to underline some things and make some notes and just, you know, be an encouragement to him. And the guy that was there was really cool about it. He goes, yeah, when I was in the service, man, my grandma used to send me a Bible every other week and it'd have stuff underlined and have stuff, you know, written in it. You know, and it was pretty funny, you know, and he was just going on. It's like, yeah, so I understand. So there was a, another family that wanted to go out and buy him the Bible, and she went out during the week, bought it, and spent a week just going over all the notes that she wanted to make and, you know, and really prayed about it. And so she comes over, and she brings this thing, and she hands me this Bible that's huge. And I had already told her, I said, you know, it needs to be something small, right? And so she gives me a Bible that's bigger than this, and it's heavier than this. And I just went, we need to start praying now. Now it's Friday, so I was going out Saturday. So the whole day, I'm praying about this Bible. And as we get out there, I said, I, you know, I've got a gift from Matt, and I, you know, here's the Bible, and you have to slide it through the window, and then they, they, the guy, the same guy goes like this. We can't give him this. And now here I am going, well, I remember the last time you said, as long as it wasn't hardbound and it was leatherbound. This is leatherbound. Look at that, leatherbound. I said, oh, look at all the notes that we made in here for him. I said, I remember your grandma used to do that for you, and how special that was for you. But, but on the other hand, hey, I understand you got rules, and if that you can't give it to him, then, you know, I understand that. And he's like, well, let me talk to my supervisor. I said, well, I'll leave this with you, and I'll just go out, and we'll visit for a while. So we're out there for about 30 minutes, and finally one of the guards walked by. I said, hey, would you mind if I could at least show him the Bible that somebody had bought for him? And the uh, lady goes, oh, no, that's no problem. Here, let me, let me go do that. And so she brings the Bible back and sits it on the table where we're at, and I start going through it. And uh, Matt, the young man, goes to the, to the guard. She, he goes, um, you know, I already have a, I have a Bible like this already in my room. And she said, you do? He said, oh, yeah, I've already got one like this. She said, well, who knows about it? He says, well, the supervisor knows and, and, uh, and allowed me to have it. And she said, well, what room are you in? And so he told her, and she went away and came back. And she comes back with this Bible that's like maybe 40% smaller. And I said, look at that. It looks almost the same. <laughs> so she goes, she goes to pick up the light one. She goes, yeah, but feel how light this one is. So she goes to pick up this one. She got this half. I got this half. We're holding it. I said, look at that. That's not much light. Look at that. Not much. Look at that. It's about, well, it's about the same thing, don't you think? And she goes like this, and she takes the little Bible that she has in her hands, and she goes, well, you know, there's no way that he can keep this one here. And she slides it to me and takes the Bible and gives it to him, the one that we had taken to get to him. And I'm, and I'm like, God is so good. All through the book of Daniel, didn't Daniel find favor in the sight of those who were in authority? And you know why he did? Because he respected them. I was going to argue with them or be belligerent about it. I was just going to trust God. God, if you want this kid to have this Bible and you know how important it is, then you'll open the door and you'll do it. And when you do, I will guarantee you that it will be an absolute miracle and there's no way any of us could take credit for it. You know, and isn't that the way God works? That when God does things, He does it right. So that we don't get credit for it. You know what He says about our salvation? He says it's by God's grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that none of us can ever boast that you realize that you and I will be in heaven as a trophy of God's grace. Not as a result of anything that we did, but of His grace. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It says that Jesus did not come into the world the first time to condemn it, because the world had been condemned already. But He came here to save us from our sin. Men and women, I want to challenge you. 
You need to make sure that you know that you have a relationship with God, that you've believed in Jesus Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of your sin. And if you haven't done that, do that today. Because God is gracious and He's offered you this gift. But don't misunderstand the truth of this. One day, that, exp- that, one day, that gift will expire. And then suddenly will come judgment. God doesn't want you to be judged. He wants all of you, all of us, to come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was judged by God to pay for our sins. Don't reject that free gift that's found in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. You sought us out. You demonstrated your love for us. And yet, while we were sinners and rebellion against you and doing our own thing, you still sent Christ to die for us. God, there's none of us who are righteous. All of us have sinned and fall short of your glory. We don't measure up to your standard. God, and I just pray for those who are hearing these words and recognize the fact that they don't know you. That they don't know if they die today, if they'd go to heaven. They don't know if they'd die today, what would happen to them. And yet there's a fear in their heart because they know that these words are true. Belshazzar learned that it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God, we just thank you that you don't want to judge us, that you sent Christ to die for us. And I just pray for those who are here or listening to these words, that if they don't know what will happen to them if they die at this moment, that they would turn to you and trust in you and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. God, there's nothing fancy to it. It's just a matter of a sincere heart that prays a simple prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me for all the rebellion and everything in my life that didn't measure up. And I just thank you that you sent Christ to die for me in my place. And I just take this time now in the best of my ability to believe in him and trust in him and to turn to him. And I don't even understand exactly what I'm doing, but I know I want to be right with you. And I just thank you and I look forward to what you'll do in my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.